1 Timothy 3.16 and Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to have you stand with me. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 3.16 to start. And then, uh, so stand with me. Come on, stand with me. Can you hear me okay out there? Yes? Okay. I got a, I got a thumbs up from the back. Just not good listeners. Did he say stand? Yes, he did. <laughs> right on. Would you read out loud with me 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? It says this, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And then in Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 8 to 10. Uh, we went over this section last Sunday, but we're going to go over it again this morning. Verse 8, it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we just thank you that we can gather out here, outside, together, that we could spend time with you, Lord, with each other, and in your word. Lord, we've come uh, not to proclaim ourselves, but to proclaim Christ. Not to worship man, but to worship the Lord Jesus. And Father, it is our desire to set our hearts upon Christ this morning, upon the things of his kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that as we spend this time together in your word, that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, you can grab a seat. Yeah, Blake and I were looking at the text, you know, and I was looking ahead and I thought, oh no, right where this lands in verse 11, where I should be taking off from where he left off last Sunday is about circumcision. And I said, I don't want to gather outside in our community and preach on that. <laughs> so we decided, hey, let's, let's, I think I can back up here and spend a bit more time in some of these verses in verse uh, 8 through 10 of chapter 2. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been just making our way through the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossian church, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And this morning, this message is called, Don't Get Kidnapped. Do you remember when you first came to Christ? Remember that? Can I ask this question? Do you remember where you were? Where, where were you? Can some people shout out some answers? Where were you when you came to Christ? Carol. Wow, in your office, okay. Who else? Where were you? You're in Bible school, okay. Driving home from work. Baptist Church in New Westminster. Where else? Who else? Youth camp. A Billy Graham crusade. David Wilkerson crusade. Johannesburg, wow. They even preached Jesus on the other side of the earth. Imagine that. Where else? A couple others. Yeah. Up north by the Nass River in a native village. Awesome. Who else? Amen. And he saved you. 
Sorry, Jerry. Evangel Tab in Kelowna. Back seat of a taxi cab. Wow, was that the taxi cab driver who led you to the Lord? No, okay. During a church service in Coquitlam. Wow, I love these things, okay? I think I was in the bathroom as a little kid, okay? My mom led me to the Lord. Sweet. What an awesome thing to consider that. Look at when we came to faith in Christ, what we did was we opened our lives to him. We opened our hearts to him by faith. It's like we threw open the door and we welcomed Jesus into our lives. We said, come in, Jesus. In the Christian life, one of the things Paul has been talking about where we've been in this letter to the Colossian church is on this uh, principle that the principle of faith never ends. The way that you welcomed Christ into your life, that is the same way you are to continue with him for the rest of your life. In fact, just prior to the text where we read this morning, you'll see in verse 6 of chapter 2, Paul says this, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to walk in him. And so his point is this, the believer is never independent of the Lord Jesus, never independent of Christ. We live every moment depending upon his grace and living out of his fullness, out of his life by faith in him. So Paul says this, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Church, in him. That's what I want you to get this morning. I was thinking about this because I think that we can have this tendency over time and over influences in our life. I was wise this morning, last, last week, last year when we did this, my iPad overheated. So I thought, you know what? I'm printing on paper and just going from paper this morning. Look at it. We can have this tendency over time and, inf and influence to begin to separate good, holy, quality attributes and characteristics from Jesus and from his person. And I want to give you some examples this morning. We can begin to say, let me talk about righteousness. How about righteousness? We can begin to see our righteousness as something that is apart from Christ. Or peace. We can begin to see our experience of peace as something apart from Christ. Or, you know, we can, we can attach our experience of peace to being rooted in, I don't know, the place where we live, the time of year that it is, the person we're in relationship with, or how about hope? We can see our experience of, of hope as something apart from Christ, something that happens independently of Christ. And this morning, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God would remind you that we cannot actually compartmentalize these godly qualities and attributes separately from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's going to talk about here is that we do not receive his qualities and receive his attributes as things apart from him, but in receiving him, we receive these qualities and attributes by faith in him. So let me talk a minute about righteousness, peace, and hope. These are examples I want to use this morning because I want you to see that first and foremost, all of these things are always founded in Christ. They belong to him. Righteousness, peace, and hope. Consider this for a moment. Righteousness. 
Jesus is called the Lord our righteousness. In, Je in Jeremiah chapter 23, this name is spoken of the Messiah, Jehovah Sidkenu. That is the official name that Jesus is going to have in eternity. The official name of the Messiah. And that name, that title given to Jesus, announces and declares that our righteousness is in him. The Lord, our righteousness. The Bible tells us this. No man is righteous, not one. Our righteousness is is in Christ. So that means this. I cannot separate in my understanding and in my pursuit of righteousness, righteousness from the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? If I want to experience righteousness, I must pursue Jesus. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Or how about peace? Consider peace. What's that title that Jesus has with regards to peace? He is the Prince of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. A title announced by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before his incarnation that declared Jesus is Prince of Peace, meaning this, he is the sovereign ruler. He is the Lord of all peace. Now think about this. That means this, all peace everywhere. Peace in the kingdom and any experience of peace outside of the kingdom. Peace in heaven and peace on earth. It belongs to him. He's the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And so any experience that you have of peace, any experience that you or I have of peace in our hearts and in our minds is because Jesus has allowed us to participate in that which belongs to him. He is the sovereign Lord of all peace, the Prince of Peace. And he gives his peace to our hearts and to uh, our minds. And his word says it's a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So this means this. Here's the application. I cannot separate in my thinking and in my understanding or in my pursuit of peace the pursuit of Christ. They have to be one and the same. Do you understand? If I pursue Jesus, the result is... I will experience that which belongs to him, his peace. Those are not two separate things. All peace belongs to him. So if I pursue Jesus and walk by faith in him, the outcome is I will experience and know that which belongs to him, i.e. peace, the shalom of God. Or how about hope? Paul said this to Timothy in his greeting, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul introduced himself. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. He said, Jesus is our hope. John said it this way in 1 John 3, 3. He said, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, the apostles Paul and John did not separate hope as a quality, as a characteristic, as an attribute or an experience apart from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I, to have an understanding as Christians, we cannot have an expectation of hope or feeling of trust in God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is not something in my life I yearn to attain 
or acquire separately from Jesus. No, Paul said this, John said this, Christ is our hope. Christ is our hope. So when I'm pursuing intimacy with Jesus, I will experience hope. Hope's an outcome of knowing Jesus. And so this is the letter to the Colossians. Paul has been declaring, we've been preaching this in our church, Christianity is Christ. That's it. Period. Christianity is Christ. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is Christ. Christianity is a, is a religion. And you know, I, I don't really like that word. You know that about me. But Christianity is a religion based on the person, the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. So we cannot compartmentalize our pursuing characteristics of godliness apart from pursuing Jesus Christ himself. So Paul says this, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Wait a minute. How did you receive Jesus as Lord? It was by faith. It involved this. You opened the door of your heart, whether it was in a church or a taxi cab or a bathroom or at work, wherever it is. You opened the door of your heart by faith and you invited Christ in as the Lord of your life. You flung open the door and said, Jesus, come in. And he came in and you experienced that which belongs to him. Peace, hope, the forgiveness of sins, righteousness. And so Paul says this, now walk in him. Every step from now on is in Christ. You walk in Christ. Or in verse 7, he says this, be rooted in him. Be built up in him. I like those pictures. I mean, I like that tree right there. Your back's is turned to it, but that is an awesome tree. And I know some of you are very thankful for the shade that it's casting today. That tree is rooted in rich soil. And it grows tall and wide because its roots are deep. Paul says, be rooted in Christ. Be built up in him. All around us, homes, they're built on a foundation. Be rooted in him like a house built on a rock. Because in Christ are hidden all the riches and wisdom, the riches of wisdom and knowledge, all things created for him and by him. Paul has already told us earlier in this letter that in everything he would have preeminence. So for you and I to reach perfection or to be fulfilled in our identity in Christ, it's not about achievement. It's not about our works. It's not about attaining godly attributes like righteousness, peace, and hope. No, we are fulfilled as we stand in Christ. As we posture ourselves in the Lord Jesus, our position, our stance is Christ. Our attitude, our thinking is Christ. Christianity is Christ, and in Christ, we are fulfilled. That's what Paul's about to tell us. I was thinking about Psalm 23. It says this, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff they comfort me. Our position, our stance is in Christ. We walk in him. We're rooted in him. 
We are to be built up in him. And this is why what Paul says in verse 8 is of such great importance. The goal of the Apostle Paul here is to put the church on the guard for those who might divert them from faith in the Lord Jesus, from a simple faith of being walking in him, standing in him, rooted in him, built upon him. Uh, He's warning the church from simply turning away from that simple rest and trust position of faith of Christ's sufficiency. Look with me again at verse 8. It says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, of, of the world and not according to Christ. He says, watch out that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See, that's the position we're to be in. As we're in Christ, we're also doing this. We're watching out for anything that would take us from Christ. Thankfully, he protects us, but like a sheepdog, you know, over our own lives, or as a pastor, like a sheepdog, I'm watching out for anyone who would preach a message other than Christ, that would separate Christ from anything that belongs to him. To divert simple faith from Jesus, we're watching out for that. So he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. That's that's an expression of concern about the false teachers that had crept into the church in Colossae. And the church was called to to be vigilant, to keep careful watch of these dangers. And the idea of the word captive is is the concept of being carried away as a slave. Don't be carried away captive in slavery. The church was in danger of being carried away as captives to these false teachers. And this was, we find out, through a false pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. See, here's what was happening. They were separating wisdom and knowledge from the person of Christ. See, all wisdom belongs to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They were separating from Jesus all knowledge. All knowledge belongs to Jesus. We're going to talk about this a little bit further. They were separating those things. Remember Blake told us last week, 1 plus 1 is 2 and 2 plus 2 is 4 because God is a God of order. That's why why math works. And any wisdom and knowledge that human beings have, it is because Christ is allowing them to participate with him and in that which belongs to him. You know, when we get to heaven, the scripture tells us, we're going to say to him, we're going to worship him, and we're going to say, all wisdom is yours. All power is yours. All glory is yours. All honor is yours. You are the Lord, our righteousness. You are the Prince of Peace. All peace is yours. Hope belongs to you. And Paul's warning is of this philosophy, this thinking, this pursuit of wisdom and knowledge that is apart from Christ. And he says, it's an empty deceit. It's a lie. It's a false truth. It's not true whatsoever. Philosophy in the original language here means the love of wisdom. 
empty deceit means that it's devoid of truth. And he identifies that the philosophy of empty deceit and the false teachers is rooted in two things. Firstly, he says it's in human tradition. Human tradition refers to teachings that has its origins in human beings, not from God. In contrast, the gospel is a message that has its origin in God. And so human tradition is worldly thinking. It has no basis in scripture. It has no basis in the word of God or in Christ. Human tradition is something that when you begin to filter it through, here's how you identify it. When you begin to filter human traditions through the word of God, what you discover is that it has no basis in scripture, in the word of God or in Christ. You filter it through the word of God and you find out that's nothing more than pagan superstition. Like, you know, things like, I mean, let's just pick some simple things in culture. Lucky rabbit's foots? Come on. <laughs> Four-leaf clovers? Going under a ladder, as the Bible points out, having special days or rituals or sacred rites and things that you can't eat and things that you can. Dietary laws like not eating meat and rather considering it righteous to get your protein from bugs. Okay, that's not a biblical concept. To say that there's hidden secrets that are only available to the initiated, these things are products of the human mind, and they're not of Scripture. They're human traditions. So the question always is, does it have its basis in Scripture? The second thing, the philosophy, the second uh, area that he talks about in this philosophy and empty deceit of the false teachers, he says, is also according to the elemental spirits of the world. And this has in it this idea of spiritism, you know, like astrology, looking to physical things in the universe and then imagining the spirits behind them and the influence they have in our lives, to, to, to look to the stars for guidance, to take your offerings and to present them to a tree in the forest, uh, to imagine that there's forest fairies or to reach and look out to the planets the the idea here is of looking at the abcs of the material world and structuring our lives around these things rather than around christ you know i was reading i, I have this uh, great book that somebody gave to me it's like super fascinating on native culture aboriginal culture in bc and i i find it really interesting but i was so shocked by some of the things I read, like I read that one of the practices of Aboriginal peoples, one of our Aboriginal groups to the north in our province was this. When they were in their canoe and they were paddling across a body of water and there were women in the canoe, the women had to fill their mouths with stones and pebbles. And they weren't allowed to speak. That's why the stones and pebbles were in their mouth. And not only were they not allowed to speak, they had to look down. They couldn't look up. And, and their pagan superstition was this, that if the women spoke or if they looked to the mountains, looked up to the mountains, the salmon wouldn't come. We know this. That's, that's, that's pagan superstition. That's not, that's not true. In the ancient world, in the time of Paul, culture was dominated by Greek mythology. Political rulers were deifying themselves and acting like gods. 
And so what we see here is this. The question is always this. Is it rooted in Scripture? Is it rooted in Scripture? How about in our culture? The Green Movement. What is rooted in Scripture and what is nothing more than repackaged pagan superstition? The current sexual message of our culture. What is rooted in Scripture and what is nothing more than justifying sin and paganism? And so Paul gives us the key to discerning and guarding, and it's found here, he says, that it has to be according to Christ. So church, I hope we're getting the picture here. How do I identify that which is false? How do I identify false philosophies? How do I identify empty deceits? Well, I would say this to you. As soon as anyone ceases to use Jesus Christ as the key, then he is not telling you the truth, no matter how reasonable they are, no matter how logical they claim to be, how loving they claim to be, however persuasive the argument may seem, the key is Christ. The key that brings wisdom to your heart is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the key you will always, always need. And so Paul says this, See to it that no one takes you captive. So like a sheepdog. On the watch. Watching out for anyone who preaches a message, a philosophy that would separate Christ from anything that belongs to him. So I think this, well, then what does belong to Christ? What is it that belongs to Christ? What actually belongs to Jesus? What is rightfully his possessions? Well, I've already identified a few things. Righteousness, peace, hope, wisdom, knowledge. What else belongs to Christ? What else belongs to Jesus? Well, Paul tells us in verse 9. Look with me at verse 9 in your Bibles. He says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Look, at this is an amazing statement here. This is... I mean, the strongest affirmative statement possible of the deity of Jesus. You know, it's like if anybody ever says to you, Jesus, he's not God. Do you just take them to this passage? In him dwells all the fullness of the godly, Godhead bodily. And the word here for fullness is the strong Greek word, pleroma, meaning the whole package. The whole package of God is in Jesus Christ. Everything that there is in God, there is in Jesus, and it is in bodily form. You know what false teachers want to do? They want to weaken your trust in Christ. Let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit tear down every argument that sets itself up against Jesus in your heart and in your mind. All that God is in His divine essence Christ is in bodily form. The fullness of deity dwells in him. And the word fullness is so strong that it communicates that there is nothing to be added. So what were the false teachers doing? The false teachers were adding to Christ. They're saying there's other secrets. There's more that you need. Jesus is not enough, but here's the truth. In him... The whole fullness of the Godhead dwells 
bodily. And in verse 10, Paul reveals something amazing, an amazing truth that applies to you. He says this, and you've been filled in him. And you have been filled in him. You are complete in Christ. That's an amazing thing. I mean, you could say that to your own heart right now. I am complete in Christ. Look at verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The glorious part of verse 10 is where Paul says, you've been filled in him. And he uses a word that he's already used. The word translated filled is that same Greek word, pleroma, meaning there's nothing lacking. You are complete in him. He is all you need. Christ is the whole package and he finishes the work in you. Now I declare this to you and and the word of God declares this to you this morning, not to convince you of how wonderful you are. Okay, we're not here to be convinced of how wonderful we are. What I want to do is convince us of how wonderful Jesus is, how he is everything and he brings everything into your life. We're here to be convinced of how wonderful Jesus is and to worship him. And so let me ask you this this morning. Have you opened the door of your heart to Jesus? I mean, when we talk about the fullness of Christ and and all these different folks saying, this is where I met Jesus, my question would just be this. Have you met Jesus? Have you opened the door of your life to him? And all I can say to you is, open the door. Like, fling it wide open and say, come in. Like, righteousness, peace, joy, hope, all of the things that belong to him. Maybe you've already tried out the philosophies of the world and you've discovered that they're vain deceits, empty deceits, based on human traditions, and they have nothing to offer. Well, let me tell you this. Christ has everything to offer. Everything. Open your heart to him who is the fullness of God and in whom we are filled. See, let me tell you more about Jesus. All rule, Paul says, and authority belongs to him. All rule and authority belongs to him. That means this, that there is not a single ruler in place in this world that isn't there because the Lord placed him there. All authority belongs to him. You think about any authority that you know anywhere in this world, it belongs to him. Righteousness, let's go back. Righteousness is his and it's imparted to us. He is the sovereign ruler of peace, the prince of peace. And he gives a peace that surpasses understanding. It comes from him. Hope. Hope belongs to him. And when you breathe him in, he allows you to participate in that which is his. Wisdom. Jesus is the very wisdom of God. Knowledge. It's his. He sustains all things by the power of his word. Power. By his word, all things were created and they're held together. How about truth? Again, Jesus said, I am the truth. Look at church. All truth is God's truth. Jesus said, I'm the life. Any participation in life whatsoever is because Jesus allows people to participate with him. And so we, the church, 
We don't compartmentalize any godly attribute from belonging fully and completely to Jesus. All life comes from him. All truth comes from him. All wisdom is yours. When it comes to the environment, we say this, the earth is the Lord's and everything therein. So I want to be a steward of that which God has given. Our sexuality, we say this, it's his design for procreation and pleasure. To put the lonely in families. It's all his because in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily forms. So the question is this. Are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? If you can say yes, then I want to declare to you this morning, you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And if you can't say you are in him, then, you are wait, then what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Open the door and invite him in. For those who know Christ, the warning of this text is this. Don't get kidnapped. Don't get kidnapped from a simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles' goal in this chapter is to put the church on their guard from those who would divert them in any sort of way from a simple faith in Jesus Christ and their sufficiency in him. Okay, we want to be a people who preach Christ, who preach Christ crucified. We ourselves, his servants, in whom all his fullness dwells. So church, let me exhort you this morning. Pursue Christ. Pursue knowing Jesus. Pursue simple faith. And let Jesus be your all in all. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. That's a nice break right there. <laughs> that cloud. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we just want to look to you in simple faith. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to save us that the Father sent you in his love for his creation to redeem us from sin. And Jesus, you went to the cross, and on that cross, you died and were buried in that tomb and raised from the dead so that we might live in you, who is the fullness of God. And so, Jesus, this morning, we want to look to you with a simple faith. Lord, I thank you that in you we have all that we need. Father, I just pray that you would forgive us in any area of our life where we're pursuing any of these attributes, righteousness or hope or peace or wisdom or knowledge, and it being apart from you. Jesus, all secrets of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in you. And so I pray that you would make us into a church, into men and women who pursue, who pursue Christ pursue you, Jesus. And we ask these things, your name. Amen.